Welcome to Song of the Gavel, the show that tells it all regarding family court, other court issues, as well as CPS. I am your host, Marianne Petrie. I have a brand new guest on. I have Amanda Wallace on. She received her Bachelor's of Social Work from the University of North Carolina at Greensboro. With a 10-year career as a child abuse investigator, Amanda worked throughout several counties in North Carolina. While watching the rights of families decrease and the power of CPS increase, Amanda realized that she had become the silent enforcer for an oppressive system. It was then that Amanda began to understand the root cause of the system and the perceived power given to CPS by society. Armed with this insider knowledge, Amanda co-authored the Respond in Power Guide, a guide parents and caretakers can use when engaging with the system. Amanda also founded Operation Stop CPS in May of 2021, a grassroots organization that works with families and community partners to resist local child welfare agencies. Amanda co-chairs the Black Mothers March on the White House Coalition, which held its first mobilization in Washington, D.C. in 2022. And Amanda is also the member of the African National Women's Organization Organization. Now, the foundation of her work is 53% of all Black homes are investigated by child welfare officials. Just a simple knock on the door by a social worker can lead to demands to enter the home without a warrant. Intense interrogations and strip searches that often end with children traumatically being pulled from their parents' arms. Over 200,000 children of color are currently in the custody of the government. Over 400,000 children are in foster care system overall. And I welcome you to Slam the Gavel, Amanda Wallace. You know, uh, how did you get involved with all of this? Well, first, thank you for inviting me and allowing me space to talk about this, you know, important issue that not enough people um, understand or truly like understand the true magnitude of it. Um, and so I got into this work, right? I was in the system. I worked for the system for 10 years. You know, I went went to, to college. I did I did the American thing, right? The, right. the, the way the way um, in which you're supposed to go. And, you know, I, I just I felt as though I had became a puppet. It just like it really just felt like that after 10 years because my voice didn't matter anymore right like they I went to all these trainings and you know uh did the work for so long but when I started to speak up or speak out or try to have any type of critical thinking conversations um I I was shut down um because what I saw was that the policies that the system was creating they became even more oppressive so conversations that I could have when I first started I couldn't have them anymore because as we all know, everything is going to AI and algorithms and all of these things where it takes the human aspect out of it, the thinking. And so what I saw was, you know, I had gotten to a position in my last county where I took a child into custody that I knew was safe. Right. So I knew this child was safe. Um, I, I, I spoke up, got in trouble um, and they told me that I had to do it. And so I had to write the petition, right? A lot of families know what that petition is, that first document that tells you that your child is in custody. And I remember writing it and sitting at the court, um, the courthouse in the chair and waiting for the judge. And he comes out 
and he's leaving for the day. He's got somewhere to go. He signs my petition, doesn't even read it, doesn't even know what it is, signs the petition and says, all right, see you later. And in that moment, I had custody of this child. And I just said, like, I, this is this is stupid at this point. Like, this is I don't even understand what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so but then as I like so after that, like I couldn't do it anymore. I went out on leave to try to figure out something else. Um, and I got a whiteboard and I wrote like just trying to get everything out of my head and Operation Stop CPS was birthed. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it, like what can what can I do to give this knowledge to families? That's where the responding power guy came from is I understood that if somebody could stop me, the investigator from coming into their house, it stops the system. Mm-hmm. And so that's what the responding power guide is, is giving that knowledge to people. Um, and so as soon as Operation Stop CPS is launched, we turned the, turn the light on, right, on social media. We were locked out of our computers um, immediately. Wow. Couldn't even do my day sheet, couldn't do, couldn't do my time sheet, anything like that, locked out and put on administrative leave. And so wow. I went to my, yeah, went to my administrative hearing, um, and, you know, explain that I don't understand why I'm being fired, right? Mm-hmm. Why am I being fired for giving families the knowledge that the, the policy says we're supposed to be giving them anyway, right? Mm-hmm. And so challenge that, that whole contradiction that they're saying that I'm doing something wrong. I believe that I was doing something right. I was giving families what they needed. Um, and so while I was at that administrative hearing, sitting in that room, waiting for the the you know administration to come I saw the child that I had took into custody she walked past the door she was living in the building at the time on a cot in the conference room right and so it came full circle for me in that moment I realized that I was sitting in the seat that I was supposed to sit in seeing what I was supposed to see and ever since that day I mean Operation Stop CPS has just evolved and taken on you know we started from a responding power guide we thought we were just gonna sell books and tell people about it and now you know it has evolved into like our change agent services of actually going to court um like fighting with families you know really fighting until children come home um so so yeah that's that's how you know I got started you know I know this is a weird question but did they give you unemployment when they fired you nope oh, yeah that's what they did to me too <laughs> nothing nothing <sighs> they yeah they denied it they said I'm like you fired me you deny my unemployment yeah <laughs> oh that's so wrong mm-hmm Boy, huh? Okay, that that's interesting. I I just had to ask that because um, you know you're you're trying to do the right thing, and really, I mean, there was no reason that they shouldn't give you unemployment. But mm-hmm. at least you're helping these families. Do you get? I'm sure you're getting phone calls all the time. Uh, you know what? What is your? I guess how many phone calls do you get a day with mm-hmm. people, parents in peril? <laughs> Right. So originally we were just accepting all types of phone calls or messages. Now we have our like free um, like consultation services that we have set up on our website. So like if families are currently impacted by um, CPS, they can set up a time to, to speak about their individual case. And it's like so yesterday we have 
four, like four families that I spoke to um, about their specific case. And I mean, it, and I feel like it, it fluctuates. Um, like I think a, a podcast or like a, a reel will come out and families will learn about Operation Stop CPS and then they'll go and try to, you know, set up a consultation to talk about their case. Um, but yeah, on, on average, like, I mean, two, two to three um, on a, on a heavy week, <laughs> on a heavy week, mm-hmm. two to three yeah. a day. Mm-hmm. Do you find this stressful as well? I mean, do you... Oh, most I I think that it's more stressful on this side of the system, oh, right? Than yeah. it is on the inside. It definitely is. Like, I mean, on the inside of the system, you just are doing your job, right? You might mm-hmm. have a high caseload, but you understand that everybody else has a high caseload. So you just gotta do your best and try to get it done. But on the outside, you have to see the pain of these families. Mm-hmm. And it's it's even more stressful, I think, for like when I see it because I know they shouldn't be going through it so it's like a frustration and a like that adds on to the stress um like when you see when you when I'm sitting in court and I'm listening to like the the narrative or the the fabrications that this system is trying to tell themselves to justify why they're doing what they're doing and then I'm just like well that's a stupid like come what like you know it's just it's just angry and and then again it makes you stressed out because you know that the impact of these decisions are having on real people, on humans, which is the side that, you know, I feel like they put blinders on the people that work in the system to not see the humans, like in the cases, right? You just see the number, you see the case file, but not, and that's why, you know, it's turnover is really high. It goes from one person to one person and you lose that human aspect or that human touch. You just come into work to do a job. And so, um, so definitely, you know, I feel like it's more stressful on, on this side. Oh, I bet. I can't imagine. Um, are you able to retrieve children and get them back to their parents? Like, how long does that take? Or do these judges drag out these cases? Well, judges definitely drag out the cases. <laughs> That's too bad. Most definitely. Yeah. Since we launched in um, 2021, we've had 16 children return home to their families. Um, and, and the time frame varies. Right. And so like um, the first case of Operation Stop CPS, like the weekend that we launched, Miss Sellers um, reached out to, to us. Um, her two day old baby had been ripped from her arms at the hospital because they said she was impolite, impolite at birth. Yep. It's crazy. And so we have we've gone back and forth to Kentucky. We protested. She's filed, you know, lawsuits, all of these things. And it took 590 days for Zephaniah to come home. He is finally home. He just came home on December 30th of 2022. Um, and her case is, is scheduled to to close, officially close tomorrow. So we are super excited over here yes. for this coming full circle. But yeah, so her case is supposed to uh, close tomorrow. She goes to court. And but then we have like the Brooks, the Brooks uh, twins in Dayton, Ohio, um, where we had to we rallied, we protested, you know, we sent emails to county commissioners. The crazy thing about the Brooks twins is they were medically kidnapped. They were able to secure medical doctors to testify on their behalf. The judge sent the children home at the hearing, didn't find them abused and neglected. And CPS said no. They said no, and they trumped the judge's ruling and kept the kids in foster care for months. Yeah, months. Oh, no. 
Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, these are the things that like we see, but again, we just don't give up. And so we kept pushing and those children came home um, in May of 2022 after being in foster care for over a year, right? And so we have families like, again, all over that we have like helped. And right now we are specifically focusing on Durham, North Carolina or the North Carolina system. Um, I think that that is where um, we could be the most successful because I know the system, right? Like I worked mm -hmm. for this system, North Carolina, for 10 years. My director, used to be my director, is now over child welfare operations for the whole state, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's like understanding the people and the players in the system. And that we feel like we could be more effective um, of, of trying to, you know, create our own, like, you know, here so that, because I don't want to say system, we do not want to create another system, right? No, right. We but we want to create a community of people that are powerful enough that if a child is taken from their family, they can demand that their um, that their children come home. Um, we always reference, um, it was Baby Cyrus in Idaho. I don't know if you were familiar with that case, but it was Baby Cyrus. He was taken away um, from his parents and he came home in a week, in a week. He came home because they were at the um, homes of the CPS workers. They were at the homes of law enforcement. They had governors making Facebook statements and he didn't even, they didn't even go to court. And we just, they just saw the post that he's home. Right. And mm -hmm. so we know that that's what it takes to get children home. But the problem is, is that when we do it, we get restraining orders. Like I currently have three restraining orders for, for showing up and, and, and being an activist and, and uh, protesting, right? I can't speak to any Durham County employees right now. Like that is ridiculous. As a, as a citizen, I can't speak to Durham County employees. Um, but, but we know that's what's required. And so we know that we have to build enough power to be able to do that. Um, we just got to continue to build. So you know, is that the same as a gag order, the restraining order? Yes. Yes, that they, we can't speak about the, um, the the children. We can't post their names. Um, we can't, um, for any publications, I mean, they're stopping parents' rights to even speak to the press. Um, yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. I just got a restraining order on the Guardian ad litem. Um, which is the child's attorney on one of the cases and saying that, like, we don't speak about the guardian ad litem program. Like, it's it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's just terrible what they're doing to families. And, um, and that's why I'm glad to have met you because you've got these new graduates either out of high school or maybe mm -hmm. some college and they go into this field and what what's your opinion do they really know what they're getting into no they do not understand what they're getting into right they i didn't know what i was getting into when i came into the system i thought i was helping right i thought i was mm -hmm. helping families like you come out of school green um just thinking that you are going to save the world, especially when you come into social work. Like, I think it's like this, um, it's this superhero mentality that the, that the system or the, the um, like your teachers and things like that give you. Um, but the reality is like the responsibility of caring for oneself and caring for children is on the parent, right? And mm -hmm. so it's a unrealistic expectation or ideology that 
these these institutions, school institutions are giving to their graduates that they have the responsibility to help or change individual people or families, right? It is up to the actual person. And so people are not equipped when they come out to actually meet people where they are and to actually um, see what it is that needs to be done. Because in reality, most of the time, these social workers are trying to put out fires or consequences of a bigger system, right? The system of colonialism, the system of like this, the, this mode of production that has been created by the system, right? So if you are coming out to a home because a child was left home alone or got out, uh, and that's improper supervision. Now you're going to punish because the system tells you that that's wrong, that a parent is supposed to always supervise their child. There's no uh, accidents can't happen, all of these things. And so your mind tells you that you're supposed to punish this parent. But your human aspect or you the, the lack of understanding of this, the whole situation stops you from from asking, well, why? were you in the situation where you had to leave, you know, your, your child home? Or are you working two jobs just to feed this child, right? Or were you so tired because you're working three jobs to try to feed your child, right? Or can you not afford the daycare because of the expense of childcare, right? So all of these things, but now we're just talking about the consequence of the issue. And so again, I think that people are ill-prepared to, to really think about how other people are dealing with life, not just how they have dealt with it. Oh, that's a really good point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, you know, even some of these caseworkers, they will come into your house and uh, just start screaming at you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know parents are starting to record everything. Yep, that's what we got the the case that um that we connected on, right? Jennifer uh, Witten, you know, we just released the audio on our uh, social media account of the social worker calling her and saying, "Bring me your kids, right? <laughs> Bring me your children." They were taken into foster care, and um, you, we can't tell you why. Like, just thinking as a parent, somebody just picking up the phone, thinking they have enough power to pick up the phone and telling you, when do you want to meet me to drop off your children? And I'm not going to tell you why you have to drop them off because we already know. We know that this case came in because of um, intimate partner violence. Right. And this system, the, these these perpetrators use the child uh, welfare system as a tool of course of control. We know that, like it's so much research. It's like, not, we don't even need to talk about it anymore, right? And, but because this system has been set up to allow them, right? So we gotta stop saying that this is used as a tool of people, of perpetrators versus this was a system set up for perpetrators to use, right? And mm-hmm. so they set it up to, to allow these people to do this. And so as soon as now, it's not even about the, the perpetrator, now the system wants the children. Now they're going to make up anything to get these babies because they just want the money. It has nothing to do. It's not about the individual case, right? Families are individually impacted, but for the system, it's not about the individual case. It's about the how does the whole system stay up? How do we keep bringing the money in through the children? Because every salary is paid off the backs of children. 
the paper that they print the petitions on come from children. The, the cars that are outside with the little seals on them, those are children. Everything that is, is, uh, makes up this system comes from the children or the commodity that they bring in. Like that's their, you know, it's kind of like supply and demand, right? Like mm -hmm. you bring more children in and that's how you're able to justify increasing your budget by hundreds of millions of dollars the next fiscal year because now you got more kids in care and the uh adopting adopting out you know sometimes these i've heard that some of these adoptions from cps they, they can happen rather quickly mm -hmm. yep because the the federal government um the adoption and safe families act like it it incentivizes adoption like it they say the word is safe families you would think that they want to keep families safe together um but actually it just tells states that we'll give you more money when children are adopted and so why wouldn't you adopt a child out why would you give them back to their family if you're going to make more money like us, like we got to understand the system, the system or child protective service agencies, they are corporations, right? They are, they are businesses. They work from their bottom line. And so if they see that this is going to increase their bottom line, they're going to do what they are going to do to increase it, not decrease it. I also, you know, like some of their mission statements say they are to reunify the child with the parent, you know, as soon as possible or whatever and you know i'm uh, that's not happening either no <laughs> not at all it's it's not happening at all they put so many barriers to reunification i mean you'll have a family complete all the services mm -hmm. several of the families that we have here in durham they've completed every service like you can look at the court order you can look at the certificate all of that proof completed and then when they do that they'll say well that wasn't the appropriate parenting class that wasn't the right therapist that you needed to see. You need to take another evaluation, even though for this whole year, you've been doing everything and telling them what they're doing. But then when you get to the point of reunification, they put all these other barriers because again, the goal was never to give you the child back because in their, like in their minds, you're, they're taught that, well, when is it ever going to be safe enough? to send a child home, right? Because, and especially with the propaganda that they put out about children going home and then dying mm -hmm. or children going home and getting beaten, like those types of things, that reinforces in workers' heads that they shouldn't do this because if they do it and something bad happens, it will be on them. And so the easier option is to leave this child in this system-approved placement where you know they're gonna be safe, not realizing the propaganda out there that children in foster care are getting raped, abused, and, and dying, right? So it's like it's, they just pick and choose what it is that they want to watch and, and put into their brain. That, that's a sorry state of affairs, the foster care system. <laughs> uh, you know, um, and, and these group homes where they are being, you know, sexually assaulted and raped and how can some of these people, do you think some of these caseworkers enjoy this? Enjoy which part? Like, uh, well, like, like, we'll say, okay, uh, well, 
terrorizing a parent, for instance, coming into their home and just screaming at them. Mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm sure there's some sadists out there that that like to take the kids away for no reason or lie to a judge that the children should be removed. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, maybe, you know, maybe they like going into court and and perjuring themselves on a witness mm-hmm. stand saying, you know, so they can get the attention of a judge is, mm-hmm. is you know, um do you think they should have psych evals? Some of these, well, all all caseworkers have psych evals. Well, I think that that would just create another way for the system to get money. Right. If they, Mm -hmm. because like, it's like getting a psych eval for employment. I think that social workers or these workers in the system believe they're doing their job. Right. And Mm -hmm. some people are even bad people. They're bad people with jobs. Right. We know that. And so that causes them to go into people's homes and scream and do all these unnecessary things. And a lot of people um, are not healed. Right. They are not. They're broken themselves. They come into um, homes with their own like childhood trauma and and trauma like baggage. And then they start to um, project those things onto other people. Um, and just that, yeah. And so I think that that then creates when you have a power, a power differential between the, the, the parent and then this worker mm-hmm. that then causes this, this breakdown of communication. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I know for like, all I can speak is for me, right? Like I look back on my career and I know that there were probably times in my hindsight that I'm like oh I could have done something definitely different in that moment um but I feel like I had blinders on right I was told that I was the superhero I was and a lot of times it wasn't even me making the decision it was the super it was the supervisor like I said I was the one that took the child away or the signed the petition but it wasn't my decision right it wasn't my decision to make and so like I think that the system, again, it's not the individual person or the social worker. It is the system that has created them, the system that puts them in the position. Um, and so when we say abolishment, like we're not saying like we want this person to lose their job or this person to lose their job. We're saying we want the whole system to, to stop, meaning no one would have their job, meaning there would be nobody coming out to people's homes to investigate. They're, like we, we that's what we want. We want true abolishment um, and not just to make it better or make to get nicer people in these positions. Oh, I agree with you completely. Yeah. I've always said this on my podcast. They should just abolish CPS, foster mm-hmm. care, and family court. <laughs> yes, abolish it all. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, and the, the thing is, um, you know, I, I've always said if, there, if, if a neighbor is questioning uh, child abuse, you know, you're if they're at the bus stop and they see Johnny with bruises and or not looking good and whatever – why aren't they calling the police instead of you know, and explaining what they're seeing instead of calling a caseworker that's not experienced to handle, say, a criminal charge? And to go a little further is if they see him not being OK, why don't they go over there or ask the parent what they need to be able to help in this situation or like maybe they're on hard times and maybe they can help, right? Mm-hmm. Because the police are also not equipped to handle these situations because like charging a parent 
um, is not going to, you know, help. That just puts them in another system. And especially when law enforcement and CPS are like one and the same, right? Mm -hmm. They have memorandums of agreement to be able to talk to each other and to do business together. Mm -hmm. So they are completely a mesh. Um, so yeah, like we just want people to be able to like respond instead of being a mandated reporter, be a mandated responder. Like mm -hmm. if you see something, like do something, don't just say something, do something, you know? So, you know, that, that I think will help bring us back to like a better community where like you knew mm -hmm. your neighbor, right? Like I wouldn't, I know, like, I wouldn't call CPS on my neighbor because, mm -mm. like, that's my neighbor. Right? Right. <laughs> and so we should talk about it and we should see, like, what's going on. How do we figure this out together? Like, what do we, like, how can we be of assistance to each other? Like, we clearly, like, we got to realize that we weren't put into each other's paths for nothing, right? Nothing is by coincidence. And so if you are meeting someone or in somebody's presence, it is for a, a bigger reason than you believe. Mm -hmm. And then so, but the problem is the system has taught us what to do and how to look at each other and how to see each other, not really realizing that like, that's not what these interactions are for. It's really to be of a blessing or to be like of a, of, of a show people grace in these situations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In, um, some people, you know, what if you're in a situation where th this kind of happened to me, I was going into some store and there was a woman, um, she had one kid in a winter coat. This was a cold winter day in we'll say January. And the other three-year-old did not have a coat on at all, just like a a lightweight t-shirt, whatever. And so when, you know, we parked the car and we went in there and I saw her and I just, I just said to her calmly and quietly, I said, he really needs to have a coat. Mm -hmm. And she blew up and she chased me around the store with her shopping oh. cart. Uh -huh. And I'm like, what the heck? And my sister-in-law is saying, I'm never taking you shopping again. <laughs> Like, but I, I just, you know, I mean, if there was a problem, I, I would definitely whip out my charge card and get that kid a coat. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Had, had she said, you know what, I'm having rough times. My husband's laid off. I, I know, I know this kid should have a coat. Mm -hmm. And I'd, I, then I'd say, Hey, well, how can I help? Mm -hmm. but, but, you know, uh, it's hard to do that. Right. When you're getting chased by <laughs> through the store. I understand. I understand. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and it is like one, because like in that situation, she might have gotten like upset. Right. Because one, she probably knew that he needed a, a coat. Right. Like he, he probably knew that. But who knows her situation or like why one had a jacket and one, yeah. one didn't like in that trying to get out or whatever. Um, And so but again, I think people have gone on the defensive because mm -hmm. of how frequently people report or, you know, call CPS or law enforcement um, and, you know, in that situation. Um, so, so yeah, it, it's, it's always, of course, best if people are receptive to help. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, in that situation, um, yeah, she, I guess she, she just wasn't ready to receive it. But it also, again, like the safety of it, like we believe that he needed a, like a, a jacket or something like that. Mm -hmm. But some people, like some kids are hot natured, right? Like in some people are, this, you know, and those types of things. So it's like, and if we are living our individual lives, at what point 
is it appropriate for other people to give their beliefs or judgment on what they're doing in their individual lives? I guess it's like the, the I guess the bigger question, right? Is like, if they're not, not safe, cause like that's like being, being cold is not like, doesn't make you unsafe. Like unless it's like hypothermia, right? Or like <laughs> something like that, like they're in the store. But like, it, yeah. And so how do you like receive it? If she was like sleeping outside and like a jacket would have helped them get through the night type thing like that I think is different but if they're like in the store maybe she just forgot it um and just wasn't in a place to receive it um Mm -hmm. and so yeah just maybe having those conversations when do we need when do we even need to respond you know Mm -hmm. that you know that question Mm -hmm. and these people that uh constantly call in false allegations I know there's like a percentage of what 74 percent are false allegations I'm just mm-hmm. throwing percentage that I've heard. But it, uh, when does a caseworker say, oh, it's them again, they're calling again, and, and they know it's not accurate? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it really depends, right? You have some social workers that don't want to, like, that see through it, and they, you know, will say, no, that's not um like, I'm not going to go out there. I'm not going to investigate. But then you have some workers that start to align with these people that are making these false allegations. And then they, they like, think, oh, well, maybe it's not false. <laughs> you know, maybe it's not false if they keep calling back. Um, and so, you know, people have really been empowered by, like, this um, anonymous reporting. Like, you can yeah. just call anybody. Like, you don't even have to have their name, their address. You just got to describe them and tell them where they're at. Um, and so I think that is is really a, a a weapon that people use against other people um, with like with these with this reporting. And oh. I don't think, and sometimes again, people don't really truly know the definition of abuse and neglect, right? Oh. Like neglect is like a catch-all. So you think that you're just you know calling because it's neglectful what this person is doing, when really, if you look at like the actual definition and um, like reality, like. It's not, you know, it's not, it's not neglect. And, you know, even like this, this abuse um, and like understanding the history of the system, Mm -hmm. like understanding that this system was birthed, right, as a direct weapon against the black power movement of the 1960s. Even if you look on the child welfare information gateway, their timeline does not begin until the 60s. And the first thing they did was define battered child. So before the 60s, there was no need to define ne- abuse. There was no need to define neglect. I guess people weren't abusing and neglecting their children. But then they were able to now create this, this stigma, create these, these uh, predetermined factors. If your race, your socioeconomic income, all of these things were determining factors if your child was could be an abused child if they came to the hospital and things like that and presented with certain things. Mm-hmm. And so... Like they, we have to understand that the system has trained us in these definitions and what we're supposed to report. And we have to, if we are truly resisting, we have to understand that history and understand that like we have to, we have to resist the, that thought, right? Like, mm-hmm. so when somebody says a child's being neglected, are they like, you know, are they like, what is really happening? What, you know, like, is that the word that we want to use? Um, so yeah, we just got to challenge that. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's these caseworkers, uh, you know, um, they are they allowed to um, indicate 
anyone or get involved when there's a family court case going on? Because yeah, that, that's, that, well, that I, okay. sorry. <laughs> I mean, that's when these allegations come out. So, so the other, uh, the real abuser can take the kids. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they definitely uh, get involved when like the family court is involved. Like when I was a worker, I testified several times in custody cases, like went to family court because, again, it's usually, you know, tied in, you know, especially when it's one parent going in another, you start screwing those allegations. You know, you have been with the person for years. Now, all of a sudden they can't, you know, parent their child, you know, or those right. types of things. And so, you know, and then, yeah, CPS is the the one that that steps in. And that's also a waste of taxpayer dollars. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I like, okay, so if someone keeps calling in false accusations, we'll say 15 times, shouldn't they be somehow penalized or fined? You would think. I mean, most states have, um, you know, uh, malicious reporting um, policies and things like that, but it's the most underutilized um, policy there is. Like, they won't really do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, making a false report is a crime. Um, but you know, these states, because so a lot of times, like in meetings, when I was inside the system, we would push back. We would say like, these reports don't make any sense. We should not be going and investigating these reports. And and we should go after people that we know are making these reports anonymously or their fault. But what we would be told is that we can't do that because it would decrease or make people worried about making the call. And so for that one person that could call and now they are deterred because they saw somebody got prosecuted, then, you know, we can't do that. And I'm like, but if I really had a concern about a child, I'm not going to be scared because I know I didn't do that. But they that's that's their, you know, what they thought, um, because Florida, even though it's a horrible state for child welfare, um, they have on their recording that it's a crime to um, make a false uh, CPS investigation. And so that was what we were saying, put it on the recording, but they were like, no, can't do that in North Carolina. Well, I think not that, you know, if, if you're going to keep calling these in, I mean, Mm -hmm. let's say you're calling in a real one or then I think you should still give your name. Um, you know, and, um, you should be accountable for what you're saying. And that would totally stop these false accusations of making these caseworkers run around for nothing mm-hmm. on a, you know, on a constant basis yeah, I... and, and taking time away with another kid that's being hung upside down in a closet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So all of these, again, all of, all of these issues, are things that people need to understand, especially the fact that I've been in, again, worked for 10 years and I could count on one hand how many actual real cases I uh-huh. could, I saw. Um, or, you know, so like that's, that's another contradiction that we have to talk about, right? Is that you have this trillion dollar industry, right? You have all in, in operating in every, every state that justifies all of this money coming out, but there's not really, they're not actually protecting children. That's not what's actually happening. Like 
that's yeah most of the children that come into the foster care i think it's like 80 90 percent of them it's because of neglect Mm-hmm. And if you think of all of the money that the system gives to the foster parent or to 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 pay the salary of the foster care worker to monitor it, you could give that that money to the family to keep their child or, or and to take care of any neglect concerns that that are that they have. And so, like, again, the the system is not doing what you just said, focusing on like what they think are serious cases because it's not set up to actually do that. It's really just set up to take children away and traumatize families and keep them in this oppressed state. You know, taking someone's child is about control. It's about power. And so, you know, even when you when you think back to right now, right, we have ICWA is being challenged. And if you look at like the history of ICWA, it came because it was shown that America was taking Indian children to assimilate them in these, in these um, schools, right? And so it was a pushback on that. And it exposed the system. It exposed the fact that this is what was happening. It was not for to protect children. It was to assimilate them. It's the same thing that's happening now. This system is just trying to assimilate people. Um, it's colon, it's a, a way of colonizing more and more people. You take them away from their culture. You put them into jail-like posi- um, conditions. And then you just cook them pretty much in, until they then go into the prison system, homelessness, or human or be human trafficked. And so, again, it's just this cycle. It's the cycle that the system creates. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How can abolishment occur? Well, abolishment begins, I believe, in our minds. So mm-hmm. we have to believe it, right? So like the the true about the like people that really believe in abolishment, we have to completely abolish it in our minds. That means we do not say that CPS um is needed for some kids and not others. That's not abolishment, right? We can't we have to completely um take out of our minds that any like this propaganda and data of families um beating and killing their kids and things like that is because of the family, right? We have to understand that it is a root cause of that happening and it is not the system that is that should be able to fix it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so again, it starts in our minds. And then as we begin to truly abolish it in our minds, we then have to take that information and, and abolish it in other people's minds. That's what Operation Stop CPS, we expose a lot because we want people to understand what's really going on in the system. And then after we abolish it in our minds, we have to abolish it in reality, which means we have to physically see CPS agencies closing down. Mm -hmm. And what does that mean? That means you can uh, go and challenge at your county commissioner's office, right? Put in some bills, put in legislation, close these buildings down, suck them dry and drain their money. Um, all of those things to be able to to then reroute that, those fundings to community, right? To community, put in a bill to challenge that if a child is taken, if they're going to pay foster parents, pay the pay the um pay the parent instead of the foster parent to keep that child. What is diligent efforts to really keep children in in their family? Challenge that, um, and and then have a community willing to respond mm-hmm. because true revolution because abolishment and is takes revolution and so true revolution is not so you 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 abolish something but you have to then replace it with something Mm -hmm. and what we are replacing it with is community Mm -hmm. right the government has been able to infiltrate our communities to make us believe that we need them to survive right Mm -hmm. they have created the conditions that 
that keep us indebted to it. And so if we want to abolish it, we have to create um, we have to create something in replacement of it because the reality is there there are people hurting. Mm-hmm. There are people struggling to to get from one minute to the next. Mm-hmm. But we can be the in between for these for for people. And you know we don't have the infrastructure and all of those things now, right? We don't have those things completely set up now, but we can start moving there if we in our minds truly abolish this thought right Mm -hmm. like not reform it we cannot reform this thing Mm -hmm. but if we truly abolish it like we can see not maybe not in 2023 maybe not in 2024 2025 but we can see some change that you know some measurable change that we start to see over the years right for us we measure it in children coming home right Mm -hmm. the when we see the numbers of the children and we know that the, the babies that have come home have not can now be subtracted from that number, mm-hmm. that's that's a that's a win, right? But we know there's that hundreds of thousands more. And when we abolish that, that means like that 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 number turns to zero. Mm-hmm. Like that's abolishment. There are no children in the foster care system. That's abolishment. You know, and so it's a, it's a tough task. It's definitely a tough task. Sometimes I'm like, how the hell are we going to do this? But, you know, <laughs> but at the same time, again, I know we can um, because it's it's much needed. It's time. It's been time. It is. And I talked to parents that their kids have been taken, put into foster care, and then they're coming after the parent for mm-hmm. child support. Mm-hmm. And but wouldn't that be double dipping because, you know, they're in foster care or a foster home and they're, the foster parent is being paid a stipend every month and then they're getting child support. Mm-hmm. Yep. So isn't that yep. fr- fraud? I mean, that's <laughs> got to be some type of fraud. Yep. That's I mean, that's what they do. You know, you you're the like you think about if you had a divorce from somebody and they made a trillion dollars. You you don't think you would be paying them child support, right? <laughs> they would be paying you. And so you got you got parents that are in poverty that mm-hmm. now are paying the government money to take care of their children when they get um thousands of dollars a, a month, um sometimes a day if these children are placed in group homes to take care of children from the federal government. And so like the whole system is just is crazy, um, and a lot of people do not know that parents pay child support. They think that um, you know they just are in foster care, the children are in foster care. But yeah, parents are paying child support to the government, <laughs> to the government oh, for their children. This is while fighting up. to get them home. <laughs> right, right. This is so messed messed up. You know, um, how can people reach you if they have any questions? Yeah, so you could go to our um, our website, www.operationstopcps.com. Um, and then if you like right there, you can learn more about our organization. Um, you can learn about how you can join the movement. You know, let us know your resources and skills, how we can, you know, come together to, to push this movement forward. Um, also, if you are an impacted family, you can um, click uh, change agent on our website to be able to, um, you know, set up a time for us to talk about your individual case with the caveat, again, that we are really focusing on North Carolina families um, right now, but, you know, we won't turn anybody away to just have a conversation. Um, And then also, you know, our, um, 
you can also invest on our website. You know, we are not a, a nonprofit. We are not, we do not get government funding, right? We are trying to abolish this system. And so our, our ability to continue to work for families have come from the people, right? We are a people organization. Um, and so you can invest in our work. Um, you know, families that we are working with are just trying to make it, right? But, mm. um, and again, you know, I, I gave up my career because I knew I had to give my salary back to really take this system down. But I'm not going to allow that to from stopping me from my true purpose. You know, like I said, I think that nothing is by coincidence. Everything is by purpose. And so I know that I was supposed to stay in this 10 year career to be able to now give back to families. And so, um, you know, again, if you want to invest in the work that we are doing, you can also do that on our website. Now, what's the best advice before I let you go? <laughs> what's the best advice you can give to these parents when there's a knock on the door? Don't open the door, right? <laughs> that no. would be the best advice. To do not open the door, contact an attorney immediately. Um, you should get the Responding Power Guide that you can also get on our website that helps you understand that you need to go and look at your law um, for your state and then compare that to the allegations. You should never speak to CPS until you understand what the allegations are um, against you, which is a federal law that you should be able that you should be told at first contact what the allegations are. Um, so until you get that, there's no conversation that needs to be had. Um, and then again, if you ha aren't able to speak to an attorney, um, if you like see they start to like really press you and things like that, and you have to engage, mm -hmm. you should only speak about the allegations. That is it. Don't talk about, you know, if it's not about substance use, don't talk about substance use. Don't let them in your house if the allegations don't have to do with your house. Like really hone in on the allegations because the system, the law only gives them the power to investigate allegations, not complete a whole family assessment <laughs> or, yeah. you know, on your whole life, right? Mm -hmm. It's just the allegations. And after they get enough information to make a decision about allegations, you should demand that your case is closed and they make a case decision. That's it, right? You just, you you, you hold down to your rights. You push, make sure your children, um, if you are, if you, if your children go to school and you get a CPS case, um, I would go get them immediately. Um, ask for a COVID option to, to, you know, do some virtual schooling until your case can be closed, but really make sure that you bring into your power because they will do anything to try to, 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 to speak to your children or speak to you. But like, it's time to, you know, we got to fan it out, understand who, who we are, right. Our, our own power and that the government does not have power on us or the power to interfere with our, per in our personal realm, unless there is a valid reason. And we still challenging that valid reason part, right? But um, we understand that if we're not there and we don't have like a whole bunch of people that can show up and get in between, it gets a little hard. Um, so, so yeah, that's what I would do. I would say, and then also just for uh, people to go and register for the Black Mothers March on the White House that's happening on May 14th of 2023. It is Mother's Day, right? Um, and so it is, um, you know, this is a mobilization of Black organizations, um, Black-led organizations, um, like the African National Women's Organization, the Family Justice Tribe out in California, Up In Movement out of the University of Houston. Um, so all of these organizations coming together to uh, mobilize and to go to Washington, D.C. to challenge this 
question, right? Challenge the state-sponsored kidnapping of our children and bring it to the national level. And so we invite everyone, right? Now, a lot of people say, oh, can I come? Because it's a Black, <laughs> Black Mother's March. Yes, we want everyone there because we can't. We, we have to all do it together um, with the understanding that we understand that this the root of this system was to, um, to attack the Black Power movement. Um, mm -hmm. And so we are saying that we are bringing our power to Washington, D.C., so it's going to be a great, I'm excited about it. We are um, uh, taking over the United Methodist uh, Church for the weekend. So we're going to have, you know, events there. It's right next to the Supreme Court in Washington, D.C. So we're going to have yoga, um, like this this really cool art installation that shows you, right, and makes you feel what it's like for a child to be gone from their from their family. So, you know, go to our website. Um, you can register on Operation Stop CPS website, or you can go directly to uh, blackmothersmarch.com to register and learn more about the march. Excellent. Excellent. And I have one last question for you. <laughs> huh? Uh -huh. This can go on all day, right? Yeah. <laughs> so when your child comes home and said, some lady talked to me, you know, and, uh, you know, I had called the school and I said, you know, is there, um, you know, uh, a chaperone in the room when she, CPS comes in to talk to a child and mm -hmm. the school will say it's not our policy. They're allowed to take the kid into a room and talk to him. Uh, you know, I don't know if that's safe. <laughs> yeah, it's not, but that's what happens. They take, they go to the school. Um, most of the schools have little books that they sign into and everything like that, or they just sign in as a visitor and take take the child into a room by themselves. Um, a lot of times they will take Take, have the child undress and um, take pictures if it says that, that there's bruises or you know things like that um so yeah people just these random people um are just able to come into and talk to your children alone and like again but we also need to be teaching our kids that if some random person comes to your school <laughs> to talk to you you say call my mother call my father call somebody I'm not speaking to them um so that is definitely something else that we got to start teaching our children Right. And I would never know that until I talk to you. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. So definitely you got we have to be able to educate our children that um, that is happening um, and that, you know, no, I'm not going with you. I have that right to not go into a room with a stranger. Right. And mm -hmm. ask these questions. But they know that if they come to you, you might say no. Right. But they're going to go to the school because children are just impressionable. Children, you know, want to please. Uh -huh. children want to you know just go and they do as they're told and so if your teacher tells you to go with this person you're going to go with this person mm -hmm. um and then you're going to open up you will be surprised at how many people like again when I look back now I'm just like dang it like these kids just talk too much like they tell everything about their their life and so I hope people like you can't just have like this one-off conversation what happens in our house stays in our house don't tell. I mean, you really have to explain it to children because social workers are trained to speak to children. They are trained to bring out their coloring books and they're trained to bring out their markers to make children feel comfortable to open up and tell every single thing that is happening in your house. Everything. Well, I'm so glad to have met you and I'm going to have you back on again. Okay. Sounds good. <laughs> this would be great. And, um, you know, like even before the, the march and even after the march, okay, yeah. that would be great. Uh, so uh, don't jump off. 
Slam the Gavels, a podcast to help the public understand what really goes on in these family courtrooms. I am your host, Marianne Petrie, author of Dismantling Family Court Corruption, Why Taking the Kids Was Not Enough, and Cry Out for Justice, Poems of Truth. Please join us again here with Amanda Wallace, Stop CPS, Operation Stop CPS, here in the future. Thank you so much, Amanda. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.